invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2, we'll be reading verses uh, 23 uh, into chapter 3, uh, chapter 3 verse uh, 6, as we continue along uh, in this Gospel, uh, walking with the, uh, the Lord Jesus as he goes about from town to town, proclaiming uh, the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so we've been walking with uh, the Lord Jesus now for, uh, for, some, for some time. We pick up the reading here, Mark chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse uh, 23, and again reading on uh, into chapter 3, uh, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, that's Jesus, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence? which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day, this blessed day that you've given to us to to hear you speak through the preaching of the word, to read the word, to sing, to pray, and to be gathered with your people. We pray, Lord, that as we consider this passage of scripture, that you indeed would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that Uh, The one who preaches would preach only that which is faithful to you. And for all of us who hear, uh, that we would hear with uh, hearts and and minds of faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, over this past uh, chapter or so, you may have noticed that uh, Jesus is getting into uh, a fair bit of trouble. And uh, that when Jesus went about preaching uh, the kingdom of God, as he said, That's what he came to do and to say the time was at hand and call people to repent and believe that that made some people mad. And uh, as we go along with Jesus, we will find this again and again. And in fact, we're in a section of the the Gospel of Mark where there's a really a series of five uh, incidents here where uh, Jesus upsets people and uh, specifically upsetting the religious leaders of the day. Uh, You might remember that... uh, uh, the Pharisees were offended when Jesus pronounced the forgiveness of sins of the, of the paralytic man who's let down into his presence by his friends. And 
they were upset, saying, who can forgive sins but God alone? And the answer, of course, was that uh, Jesus is the one who forgives sins. He is God in the flesh. And uh, they got upset again when Jesus called a little bit of a disreputable person to be his disciple, Levi, the tax collector. Not only did he call him to be a disciple, but then uh, Levi called his friends together and they were having a celebration in his house with other tax collectors and other known sinners. And Jesus was there in the midst and they were offended. But Jesus said, I've, I've come to call not the righteous, but, but sinners. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, uh, but the sick. And then, of course, they were offended when they realized that though they were fasting with their disciples and John and his disciples were fasting, that Jesus and his disciples didn't fast. And uh, Jesus' answer, of course, was that the bridegroom has come. Uh, it is a time of rejoicing. The long-awaited one has arrived. New wine for fresh wineskins. I am making everything new. It's no time to fast and mourn. It's time uh, to, to rejoice. And then here in this passage that we read, we have really uh, two incidents uh, that are recorded for us here in the Gospel of Mark, uh, all surrounding what Jesus does uh, on the Sabbath. Now, when you hear the word Sabbath, uh, perhaps you're like the historian Thomas Macaulay, who said mean-spiritedly and unjustly of the Puritans and their Sabbath observance, the Puritans opposed bear baiting on Sunday not because it gave pain to the bears, but because it gave pleasure to the people, uh, said Thomas Macaulay. This idea that the Puritans were those who, uh, who anything that smacked of pleasure was sinful. And of course, that was foolish for him to say and simply not true. The Puritans believed in pleasure, a pleasure in God, in Christ, in the gospel of God's free and transforming grace. It was never a question of pleasure versus no pleasure. But what actually is the most pleasing? To a child of God. Jesus himself says in this passage, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That is, the Sabbath is God's gift to man at creation. And Jesus calls himself the Lord even uh, of the Sabbath. And tells us that the Sabbath was made for man, not for the Jews simply, not for Israel, but for man at creation. God's good Gift. One man who uh, understood the importance of the Christian Sabbath was the atheist French philosopher uh, Voltaire, who famously said at one point, if you want to kill Christianity, you must abolish Sunday. Advice the French Revolution carried out with the bloody consequences as a result. Now, the Hebrew word Shabbat means rest or cease as in cease from labor and work. And you would think that in a day and in a culture, in a country, where everywhere there is unrest in the nation, often in churches, in families and individual lives, that there would be a desire to rediscover what the Sabbath and true rest uh, is all about. And this is what the Lord Jesus sets out to do here in this passage. Uh, Jesus sets forth the uh, true meaning of the fourth commandment, which is simply remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, in contrast to the perversion of that commandment by the legalistic teaching of the Pharisees uh, in his day. Now, this passage is a hard passage for us, I think, even to begin to understand today. We have lots of problems 
in the modern church today, we sin against the Lord and disobey him in a multitude of ways. Uh, but a Pharisee-like keeping of the Sabbath is not usually one of them. In fact, our problem is the opposite. Even in parts of the professing Christian church, uh, there's a belief that there's no need to keep the Sabbath holy at all uh, or to keep it separate at all, uh, to remember it or to observe it at all. And so we might have a hard time uh, relating to the mindset uh, of the Pharisees. This mindset was uh, probably uh, illustrated well by a, a pastor I heard once telling a story uh, about a trip to Scotland he had to the island called Lewis. And uh, witnessing an example of the mindset I think Jesus is describing in this, in this passage, this pastor had worshipped at a church in the evening, and they had sung some wonderful songs, and as this pastor was walking up the stairs out of the church hall after the evening fellowship, he was whistling a tune. And as he was walking along, he felt a big hand on his shoulder, and he turned around to see uh, one of the ruling elders standing there. And the elder said, Son, the Lord's day is not a day for whistling. Um, we have no idea of the mindset that Jesus was facing in his own day. Uh, but it's clear that throughout this passage that these men, these Pharisees, were not ultimately concerned too much for the law of God. We need to get that straight. The problem with Pharisees is not that they care too much about the law of God. Uh, it's, it's not that they're uh, too concerned with obedience to God. It's that they think they care a great deal about the law when, in fact, they have more concern for their own man-made traditions. They don't love God's law too much. Uh, they love his law too little. Their hearts and delight are not in him. First of all, Jesus confronts their legalism. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Sabbath, of course, we know is a day set apart for God. And here are the disciples walking along with Jesus through the grain fields. And as they do, the disciples become hungry. And so they begin to pick heads of grain, rub it between their palms and eat it for food. And the Pharisees see this and they take that as an opportunity to accuse Christ of having mistaught his disciples and of having led them into this less than godly behavior. The disciples, however, were not breaking God's law. If Jesus actually had broken the fourth commandment here at this point, which tells us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and if he were encouraging his disciples to break the fourth commandment, Jesus would be then, of course, a sinner. And you and I would still be in our sins because he had to live a perfectly obedient life under the law of God in order that he might be the spotless, sinless sacrifice and that we might be justified freely by his grace. So the Lord Jesus isn't encouraging his disciples to break the fourth commandment. In Matthew's recounting of the incident in Matthew 12, Jesus says to the Pharisees, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. His disciples are, are guiltless. They are innocent of the charge. Jesus wasn't encouraging his disciples to break the fourth commandment any more than he taught his disciples to break any of the ten commandments of God. And by the way, the disciples weren't stealing either. You may be asking yourself, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? The disciples are going through someone else's field, picking grain. Um, they're stealing someone else's grain. Uh, no, 
In the book of Deuteronomy 23, 25, the Bible says God made provision for people just like the disciples, for those who are poor. They were allowed to go into another's grain field. They were allowed to pick the grain with their hands. They weren't allowed to take a, you know, take a scythe to the grain and back up a tractor trailer and you know, uh, harvest the whole field. But if they were hungry, if they were in need, they were able to, to eat of the grain. If it was, it was necessary to provide food for themselves. And the disciples are in that circumstance. They were hungry. And so according to the law, they picked some of the grain and, and ate it. But the Pharisees, we're told here, are looking for an opportunity, of course, not to uphold God's law, not to honor God's law. They were looking for an opportunity to tear down uh, the Messiah. And so we learn from this passage that even divinely appointed religious means of grace, like the Lord's Day, like the Sabbath, a gift from God can be misused. And evil men can, can hold to that outward form and yet miss the whole point. Make no mistake, the Pharisees did not love God and God's law too much. They loved God and his law too little. What they really loved and fought for was their man-made additions to God's law, as Jesus makes clear in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's what's, what's happening here. The, the, and of course, the spirit of the Pharisee is not far away from us. That is, holding others accountable to our own standard and then quick to judge them and condemn them. Not according to what God has clearly said in his word, uh, but according to a standard that we have, that we have kind of uh, adhere, adhered to the, God's law or added to or supplemented or we're not sure that that law of God is clear enough so we need to add our own and uh, that's what the Pharisees were doing they were quick to judge quick to condemn didn't matter what the need of the disciples was so that's the conflict uh, going on here but the second thing we notice is that Jesus tells them and instructs us here that works of of necessity and works of mercy are lawful and pleasing to the Lord on the Lord's holy day. How does Jesus respond? Verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read? So how does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, oh, you're right. We're, you know, we're, we're setting aside the fourth commandment. No, Jesus takes them to the scripture, takes them back. And as he said to them, have you never read what David did? The standard for Jesus was the Bible. When he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man uh, for the Sabbath. So again, the standard here for Jesus is the scripture. He answers the Pharisees as we need to answer uh, when we are in conflict of truth. Uh, have you never uh, read? Uh, what does the Bible say? Uh, and Jesus takes them back to 1 Samuel 21, which tells that story of David and his, uh, and his friends, those who are with him, uh, on the run, and they're, they're in need, and they're hungry, uh, and they come upon the, the, the temple and the showbread of the presence, which itself was a reminder of God's provision for his people through the wilderness days. Uh, and, uh, and they are in need, uh, and they are given of that, that bread to eat. Why? Because they were hungry, they were on the run, there was a, a, a necessity for them to, to eat, and the Lord provides uh, for them. The Lord provides for their need in a time of necessity. Haven't you ever read that, Jesus said, uh, to these Pharisees who were looking for a way to 
accuse him. More than that, of course, we know the Old Testament itself tells us that the priests uh, worked on the Sabbath. They had to prepare the sacrifices, of course. They had a lot of work to do. Leading in worship is necessary on the Lord's holy day. Uh, the priests and Levites worked on the Lord's holy day, just like pastors work uh, on the Lord's holy day. There's a necessity uh, to uh, preach the gospel. Uh, you maybe can't see it from there, but, but sometimes I work up a sweat here in the pulpit. Uh, it, is, it is work to preach uh, and to preach the gospel. And even when you're not sweating, you can be working too. But nonetheless, um, this is a necessary work. We need to hear the gospel. You need to be at the place of worship. You need to get in your car. Uh, you need to drive to the place of worship. You need to prepare food this morning so that uh, your body is, is, is so that your, your your body is nourished and you have good strength to come and worship the Lord. Uh, you need to rest on the Lord's day so that you can return in the evening and worship with God's people again. There's a lot of things that are necessary uh, for you to do in order to fulfill what God has called you to do on this holy day. And Jesus is saying, whatever is necessary. To keep the Lord's day holy is good and pleasing to the Lord. And there's no man-made tradition under the cloak of obedience to God that ever gives you an excuse, says Jesus, to ignore human need. You know, the, uh, the Pharisees uh, were reminded in Matthew 12, the Pharisees... Um, did believe that if one of their sheep were to fall into a pit on the Sabbath, uh, they would pull him out. So they had a provision whereby you could help a distressed animal, and yet they had no place for helping a human being. Much like today, one might, in our culture, sacrifice funds to save the dolphins, uh, but don't really get too concerned about... The, the slaughter of babies in the womb. Or uh, imagine yourself driving to worship on the Lord's Day and you see, a, uh, you see a cat that's been injured and it's on the road and you stop your car and you, you get out and you take the cat and you, you move it over into the ditch so it's not going to get run over. But then you see somebody who's, uh, who, whose car broken down and there's a, there's a family sitting on the side of the road. And, and, uh, but you can't stop because you've got, you've got somewhere else to go even though there's a there's a great need. And we really see here the, the ultimate contrast between the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Pharisees in the second illustration uh, that the Bible gives us here. Again, chapter 3, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them... Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And the Bible says uh, they were silent. Jesus goes into a synagogue, sees a man with a withered hand, a shriveled hand, and immediately the Bible says his heart of compassion is moved and he wants to see that man restored and, and healed. And the Pharisees at the same time, same situation, same man, are looking at this situation thinking, uh, how can we catch Jesus in something that we can uh, accuse him of and, and make him lose face in front of the crowds? Isn't that amazing? Here's a man in great need. Jesus has compassion for him. 
While these men, these supposedly godly men, all they can think about is not that man in his knee, but criticizing the Messiah and accusing him in such a way as to discredit him. This is important. Jesus sees this man with a withered hand and uh, his compassion is, is for a sheep without a shepherd. Compassion for sinners, for the broken, for the weary. His desire is to uh, restore, restore, heal, and not destroy. Think of, a, think of an antique car dealer uh, when they see a broken, um, a broken Model T Ford in someone's garage out here, maybe in Salem County, and uh, it's all covered with, with dirt and vines and all rusted. An antique car dealer comes by and sees, sees that Model T Ford. They don't say, uh, you just need to get rid of this, 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 this terrible-looking car in your garage. You just need to get rid of it. No, that antique car dealer sees that uh, rusted-out Model T Ford and thinks, ah, I can restore this. I can restore this car. This is Jesus' heartbeat as he comes into the synagogue to heal, to restore, to have, to have compassion. Who loves the law of God more, Jesus or the Pharisees? Well, there's no contest here. Jesus is the one who loves God's law. Because remember, God's law is summarized for us as loving God and loving our neighbor. This is the heart. Of Jesus, verse 5, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus is healing while they are conspiring to destroy him. Jesus is having mercy. On this man, while they are plotting and planning Jesus' own destruction. Jesus is keeping the Sabbath. He's loving God, loving his neighbor. He's doing good. He's showing mercy. So, yes, pastors work on the Lord's Day. Doctors, nurses, police, firemen, firewomen work on the Lord's Day. It's not mercy to let someone's house burn down because it's the Lord's Day. Uh, it's not mercy to allow murder and break-ins on the Lord's Day and close the police station. Aren't you thankful that hospital doors are always open? Uh, it is good to serve. Jesus is saying it's good to serve on the Lord's Day. It's good to serve in the nursery. It's good to serve by teaching a Sunday school class. It's good to serve by greeting at the door. It's good to serve by playing music. It's, a, it's good to serve one another on the Lord's Day. And if you don't have time to serve the church family and fellowship with the church family on the Lord's Day because you think you don't have enough time or you've got other things to do on the Lord's Day, you're really missing out on one of God's great purposes for you. Because Jesus says, that, uh, what, what is better to do on the Lord's Day, to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy? Well, on the Lord's Day, this is the day uh, to do good and to serve and to bless others. To visit the sick, to visit the housebound, to host people in your home, to minister to people on this day. To rest, to worship, to do good. To do good on the Lord's holy day. This is God's will for us. Uh, this is what Jesus says. This is what the Lord's Day is all about. This is what the Sabbath is all about. Uh, those works of necessity and mercy that bring glory to to God. 
This is what we confess in our Westminster Confession of Faith. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all the day from their own works and words and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship, that is, coming to worship with God's people when we worship together, worshiping at home by yourself and with your family, and, our confession says, in the duties of necessity and mercy. This is the day to worship the Lord, to fellowship with God's people, to do good to others. And that, uh, the Bible holds out for us, you see, is is a great delight. Showing mercy, says Jesus, is always right. And isn't that one of the things behind the story of the Good Samaritan? Priest Levite didn't have the time. Couldn't be bothered. Didn't want to get their hands dirty with the needy and helpless one on the side of the road. And what would we have done if the Lord Jesus had decided he was not going to get near the needy and helpless and defiled sinners? Jesus says the demands of mercy are at the heart of the law of God, at the heart of God's provision of the Sabbath, at the heart of God's provision of of one day in seven, a holy day to rest, to worship, to do good, and to serve others, to be merciful. This is what we've seen in the life of Jesus, touching the man with leprosy, touching Peter's mother-in-law who has the high fever. Mercy, mercy to others. So these things are good and pleasing to the Lord on the Sabbath. The key, of course, of this passage is verse 27 and 28 where Jesus simply says this, The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is God's gracious gift to man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord... The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus, you'll remember, referred to himself as the Son of Man back earlier in chapter 2, and he was talking about the authority to forgive sins. And now he uses that name again here, declaring that he is Lord, uh, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's God's gift to man. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship, a day of blessing, and a day to bless. And Jesus says, I am the, I am the Lord of this day, not the Pharisees. And not you. And not me. Now we get that part about the Pharisees. Jesus is clearly saying to the Pharisees, listen, you can't make extra laws and add them to the holy day of the Lord. What do you think you're doing? Have you never read? So he's Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees need to get the point. You can't be adding to the law of God. But Jesus is also speaking just as much to us. We may not fall into the Pharisee camp of adding to the law of God, but we don't think we need to keep Sabbath at all. Even though it is the fourth commandment, one of one of ten. You know, it's a very strange thing that sometimes in the professing church here in America, especially, we seem to think that there are nine commandments and one and one helpful suggestion that we can either take or leave. No one in their right mind would say, well, you know, committing adultery, not committing adultery, that was a good law for Israel. But it doesn't apply to us. No one in their right mind would say that, uh, you know, taking God's name in vain, yeah, that's of concern for the Israelites, but doesn't touch an American Christian in 2023. And yet when it comes to this gracious provision of God, a day 
set apart for rest and worship, for works of necessity, for mercy, for doing good. Sometimes we, we think, well, I can either take that or leave that. No, Jesus says, I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. Whether you're a Pharisee or a non-Pharisee, I have given you this day for my purposes in your life, my gracious purposes in your life. And he's saying, the Lord of the Sabbath has come. The one who actually heals, restores, and gives true rest has come. Do you ever think about that? That that's exactly what Jesus is doing every Sabbath through the preaching of the Word? That he is, that he is doing good and that he is saving lives? That's what he's doing by his Spirit. Through the means of grace. Doing good. Saving lives. He is the one who has come to give us rest. I am He, says Jesus. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. As we see in this Gospel, Jesus is the one who's come to withstand the temptation of Satan to succeed where Adam failed. He's the one who's identified himself with sinners in his baptism and has come to save sinners, to seek those who are lost. To save those who know they need a doctor. And he has, we've seen, the power and the authority to do it. And so as he does battle with the Pharisees, he's on the road to the cross. We get a hint of that right in that last verse, don't we? The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to, uh, how to destroy him. Can that be? Here the Bible tells us Jesus full of compassion and, and mercy when he sees this man with the withered hand. And even in, his, even in his act of mercy and kindness and grace to sinners and those in need, there are those who leave that place plotting to put him to death. And so even as he does battle with the Pharisees, Jesus already is really on the road to the cross where he will be put to death, where he will, in fact, give up his life in the place of sinners only to rise again, providing us uh, with forgiveness full and free and granting us his righteousness that we might stand before the Father cleansed and restored and holy in his sight. This is God's good gift, says Jesus. This is the Christian Sabbath, this is what we celebrate on the first day of the week. Jesus doing good, going about saving lives, even as we gather in His, in his presence. Well, many uh, years ago, there was a Dutch writer uh, who uh, wrote about how the Dutch have called Sunday God's dyke. That is, in the Netherlands, the dyke keeps back the threatening seas. Remember, the Netherlands, a lot of them are built up islands on the sea. Uh, Sunday, the Christian Sabbath wrote this person, is God's dike. So just as Hollanders were preserved from watery destruction, so the Lord's Day holds back the raging waves, this author wrote, of materialism, earthly mindedness, and pleasure madness that threaten to engulf the church and the Christian. You ever thought about the Sabbath that way? Jesus is doing good, saving lives, but it's also that day that we rest and worship 
where we are fed and nourished by the means of grace so that we can go out. It is, it is God's dike in our life to, present, to prevent the, the world from overwhelming us so that we might be strong in the Lord. In Puritan England in the 17th century, the market day was the chief business and social day of the week. Farmers and craftsmen and merchants and housewives would come from the surrounding countryside and villages to buy and sell on market day. And believing that God's day of rest was in fact the appointed day for a special day of, of uh, as they would put it, doing business with God, the Puritans called the Sabbath the market day of the soul. The Lord's Day, you see, friends, is a day to do spiritual business with our Heavenly Father. And Christ is calling us back in this passage to recognize that as the Lord of the Sabbath, He's given us this Sabbath as His gracious gift, that we might be in communion with Him, with one another. A day to do good, a day to serve, a day to heal, feasting at His table, not going our own way, doing as we please, but what pleases God and what pleases Him is compassion. Mercy to others. And this is the day he's given us that we might reflect him to one another. Taking delight in our Savior who continues to do good and save lives even today. May we, friends, indeed call the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, uh, a delight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that... Uh, as we uh, work our way through the scriptures, you teach us and mold us and shape us. You clear out all the, the false teaching that accrues to your word. And even here in Mark chapter 2 and 3, Lord, we see how your good and gracious gift was twisted and perverted into something that was never meant to be. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to call the Sabbath a delight, that we indeed ourselves would take delight uh, in the Lord, you've given us this day as a day of rest and worship to celebrate your goodness and grace. Uh, a day, Lord, that uh, we might serve others. A day when we might minister to others in mercy and kindness and grace. Even as the Lord Jesus himself ministers to us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that despite this opposition that we see so early here in the Gospel of Mark. That our Lord Jesus was not deterred from accomplishing his mission the saving of many lives, and that he kept his face uh, fixed uh, on Jerusalem, knowing that there would come a time where he would lay down his life for sinners like us, that we might be saved and that we might know true rest, true joy in his presence. Help us, Lord, to take the light down in your gracious gift to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.